Specialising in back issues and the largest stockers of silver and bronze comics, City Centre Comics in Glasgow's Rudden Lane is the comic store for comic lovers. You want new comics and graphic novels? Then don't despair. City Centre Comics can help you find what you want and show you more. Hello and welcome to Working Comics, a podcast that's interested in learning about how comics are made from the people who make them. These conversations that you're going to hear are with writers, inkers, colorists, letters and publishers currently working or have worked in comics. I've been fortunate enough to have conversations with some brilliant people about their work and what it's like working in comics. So starting from the end, we've got Katrina Laird, uh, we've got Jen Milton, Dave Cook, Ellie Winter and John Farnham next to me. What I want to start with tonight is something that all of you at different levels and at different experiences have been involved in and that's to do with writing. And what's been interesting through the conversations that I'm part of and I have through the podcast and I hear from just speaking to people in general that make comics is the challenges that come with writing, that come with creating ideas, that come with developing cameras, characters. So, Jem, when, when you've got three different styles that go on, for instance. So, you do uh, your own diary work um, that you create on a regular basis. You've also got flying castles that you put out. Uh, that's a different style to that. And you also contribute in, well, you've, got, you've contributed to the girl that gave Zero Fox that you worked on before. And you also do do own uh, patron stuff that you put out. And I'm just, you can start with you, is how do you work on these characters? So if you've got these different ideas in your head, these different voices, how do you normally start developing ideas? Are you more prone to just jotting stuff down and develop it from there? Or have you got a clear idea in your head about how you go forward? Um, I think, like, the easiest one to talk about is probably The Flying Ship, um, which is my webcomic Um and that's something I've been working on for about 10 years, like in whatever form, but I've only been working on the kind of final iteration of it for the last three years. So obviously it's had a really long time to kind of change and develop over time. And I guess I sort of started with this um, sort of really simple framework of this um, traditional Russian fairy tale called The Flying Ship. And then the characters kind of came out of what I wanted to kind of bring to my version of the story because it's quite a straightforward story about um, this peasant who um, in a land where the Tsar has decreed that whoever can build a flying ship gets to marry his daughter. This like lowly peasant who everyone thinks is a complete idiot is just like, me, I'll do it. Um, and they kind of win the day through their kind of humility. Um, and that was just like the kind of theme that I wanted to explore. But instead of it being about the main character's humility, it was more about like their their kind of personal growth and like letting other characters in and the kind of, like, humility and, like, peasant thing got sort of translated into, like, most of the main cast being, like, some version of, like, queer or trans um, and, like, how that kind of translated into, like, who they were in this world and what their, like, challenges 
for, like, queer people, like, in our world, how that would be translated into a kind of, like, metaphor, like, in this fantasy world. So they've all kind of come out of this, like, self-exploration. And I guess, like, really all of my work is just, like, totally about me. Um, I'm, like, figuring out my own, like, identity as a non-binary person and, like, the kind of struggles that go with that and, like, how that can sort of be part of, like, how someone changes as a person. I think that's, like, the sort of core of most of my work, really. Um, yeah. And because you're putting yourself at, at the forefront of it, do you think that makes it harder for you <clears throat> to develop the ideas because you're, it's so personal to you? Or do you think it becomes easier because it's your voice, your own voice that you're using to do it? I feel like it's it sort of feels like the only way I can write with any authenticity because if I'm putting myself in the center of the story, I'm just talking about my own experiences and all the symbolism and everything else is totally personal. So I can't really get it wrong. Like people can disagree with my views and like how I present those characters, but at the end of the day, like, it's really all about me, so it can't be, like, you can't, like, not research your own experience well enough, if mm. you know what I mean. Mm. I mean, maybe you can, but, yeah. Yeah, no, I do. <laughs> and, John, have you ever had that? I mean, in terms of, what? like, well, I mean, some, some of the stuff that you put out is through <laughs> your, well, a, a lot of it is through your own voice and your vision, depending on what the genre is, and then some of it is politically driven by what's happening in the world. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm just wondering how you find about finding a pitch of a voice and your tone that you want to put out, and whether, because I, I mean, just going back to Jen for two seconds, I know you did several iterations for the flying ship before you felt that you'd got the place you want to be. Mm. And I just want to, to open up all of you, but start with John about, do you take a long time to find the voice for each story that you want to do, or does some of them just become so natural in your head? I think the um, I'll form the universe, the kind of, for instance, say something like Generation Gun is set against the backdrop of a school shooting. So I have my characters, I'm picking up on the breakfast club and subverting it and using those kind of templates like the jock, the weirdo, etc, etc. But something like um, Spies, I just wanted to do something. And again, it's all about creating the universe and then the characters follow. So I have a universe where it's all alpha males and alpha females and it's kind of interesting to play with them and see how they react and how they... And each each project is completely different. I mean, I've got, I'm looking at my list here. So I've got my first kids book coming out this year called Frank and Jenny. And that's um, something I've wanted to do for a long time because it's difficult when people are coming to the table and I keep saying to kids, you can't pick up the comics. So I would like to have something that's like an all ages book. And so for that, for me, again, finding those characters, which again came from School of the Damned, it's all just templates really. And then you add your own flavour. And I think the, the way you add flavour is through dialogue, which is king for me. You know, that's the most important thing. I can tell everything I need to do in my story with the dialogue. Obviously, plot is important. And I will say once I put my plot down, it doesn't really... I think it's, it's changed maybe once. I'll restructure it. But it's pretty much... It's solid and it's there. And that's also my universe and everything. But I think how I can impart everything that I want to say, whether it's in Generation Gone, Royal Descent 
where I have the top 50 of the royal family, which I have killing each other on Ireland. Hard Work and Amadillo, which is my new book, uh, which is about making comics. So I've, I'm, I'm doing all sorts of things, but the, the characters are all basically the same. They're templates, and you pick them and you, you, you alter them to the way you want. And that might be from people you've met. That might be from situations that are happening in the world. There's so many ways that the, the, the influence comes to me, you know, watching television, watching film. There's it, a lot. Um, the things that are more personal to me, you know, yeah, you, I think basically all my characters are fairly fleshed out, I, I like to think. But some things have more resonance than others, you know, and that's that's the number one rule is you have to have an emotional resonance with the character. So when I kill them, you will care. Dave, you keep nodding along. you agree with what John's saying? Yeah, um, specifically that last point as well, like, you know, if you, you know, characters not fleshed out enough. If you're not don't have an emotional connection with them, then, then you don't so care what happens to them. Yeah. But I mean, the way that so all my comics are like inspired by video games. I've had this chat with you so many times. Um, so I'm a massive gamer, like so. I'm people always say, oh, what comics have influenced your work? And I'm like, not that many of them, because it's largely comics that I pull from, um, just to be a bit sort of different. And my first love is video games, so. Um, all, all the series I've ever written is like, oh, I would like to do a story in this universe, like the Dark Souls universe or like the Fallout universe. And then I, then that sort of um, starts sparking the imagination mm -hmm. and start coming up with um, ideas. Like if I was writing something with that, with those licenses, if I was allowed to, what would I do kind of thing? So I'm um, like Vessels, my comic Vessels is kind of like a Dark Souls spin, bust is Fallout. Um, Kiltopia, our newest one is like a tribute to um, all Japanese action video games like Bayonetta, uh, Devil May Cry, stuff like that. Um, but, yeah, oh, it's amazing, man. But it's, it's just kinetic and kind of brash, and everyone's a bit of a dickhead, and like, you know. Um, but um, th what I always say though is that the world itself needs to be like your, your one of your characters. Like the world has to have its own personality and mm. feel lived in. So, and it, you, that's, you guys, that's know, the most important thing. I think, yeah, you for have sure. To believe that. 100% and you don't just like flesh out the world through exposition like people telling you what's happening in the world you know mm. it's a visual medium that's where dialogue so. is so important yeah yeah so one it's one like one of my pet hates is explaining things you're like no hang on I'm doing this because of this yeah. there is a yeah. way of doing exposition <laughs> that they can make it fun and that actually can drive things forward faster yeah and it's just finding that because yeah. uh, what I've found is that sometimes I'm reading something and the exposition is is quite dull um I don't know if it's because my attention span has been destroyed like everyone else and the, through social media and the way we view things, but I need to fix and I need to hit, I buy comics to escape. And if I'm not being entertained, I'm out immediately. Yeah. And it's not, it's not a long process, it's one issue now. Yeah. I mean, you ask Chris, it's done. I've cancelled so many books just because it's not doing it for me. It's you have to cut the chase, right? And just sort of like. And I like the idea of like yeah. the, the kinetic energy and stuff, and that. I like that, you know. Yeah. But I also like things to happen. But is that feeling about it needs to be a hook straight away to, to get into you? That's just me. No, I know, but I mean, I think there's a few people that are, are nodding as well along with it. I mean, for you guys that are creating, does that is that one of the things that's at the forefront of your head when you're creating stuff? I mean, Katrina, when you're when you're working on your stuff, are you thinking? or is it somewhere at the back of your head, it's like, right, this has got to be grabbing and people have got to be involved in this. And in the next couple of pages, otherwise I need to throw this in the bin and start again. I mean, what, how do you focus on it when you start coming up with ideas? Um, yeah, I think obviously when you're coming up with comics, you have to think about, you know, at the end, who's going to be reading this? Who's going to, who's going to be, who is this for, essentially? I don't think you necessarily have to, think about it in terms of this has to be for everybody ever. 
uh, because I think that's that's really that's the probably one of the most difficult things to do when coming up with any story to make it an all ages all appropriate story because it, it, that's just you need a big team to be able to do that so because I do so, so much of my stuff individually I'm kind of thinking about what would I want at the at the sort of time that I'm, I'm thinking of um, giving to, to people so if I'm, if I'm thinking of a story that I would have liked when I was younger that would have helped me that's kind of the mindset I'm thinking of um, so a lot of my characters come from scenarios or um, well, a, lo a lot of my current ones actually come from dreams that I've had that I've just I've, that have particularly stuck with me. And remembering dreams at the at the best of times is is quite difficult. But if a dream has particularly stuck with me, I'll think why was that dream particularly interesting and take the bits out of that and then adapt it into things like Chimerical that came from just a dream about monsters and that was actually it, the original dream for that was like very sound oriented, which was interesting. But obviously, you know, doing that within a comic is quite difficult. Um, so I adapted it to the medium I was doing. And uh, the same with Stinger. Um, the, the original dream for that was very monster, spooky oriented, which again, I kind of adapted for that phobia concept that I was doing, but um, it became more of a, a morality story, like a kind of learned lesson story, as opposed to being just a... Are they all? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And Ellie, how are you finding that as an editor? I mean, when when you sit down with, with writers and they... So it's interesting what John was saying about kind of needing a hit. I mean, there have been... I'll read a script and there have been notes in the margins. Like, What's the point of this page? You know, you just think, Drive did you it. just need 48, you know, pages? Um, and um, certainly for characters, there's always in the dialogue... It's interesting what you say about dialogue, that it has to ring true to that character. You get an idea about the character within two pages, and then if on page four I read something, I'm like, that guy wouldn't say that. That's a big red cross straight away, you know? Mm. So it's, it's all about well-drawn characters, and once you're in there and you're thinking, I know who this person is, the dialogue has to fit all of that, and that's kind of half my job is going hang on, that doesn't ring true for that person to say that, you know? And is that because you think sometimes they're trying to get too much in too quickly or because they've not got the tone in their head of what the character is saying? Quite often, if it happens, like, near the start of a book or if it's, do you know what, if it's a newer writer and they've, newer writers tend to give me their scripts too early when they should have put it in a drawer for a month, got it back out again, read it again, redrafted it before it came to me. Um, so you'll get that quite a lot with newer, newer writers. Um, it's not usually. It's usually just a misstep, and you just think you just writers get too close to their own writing. That's why an editor's handy to have, and they just don't see it, you know. So that's what I'm there for to go. That guy would never say that in real life. I think that's a know? really, really valid point because I think sometimes I'm a better editor than I'm a writer because I'll have stuff on the page and I'll just obliterate it. School of the Dam, number one, first book I put out, I cut 35% of the dialogue and I still think it was overwritten by about 25%. And then also the panel structure, nine panels, nine panels, nine panels, nine panels. Now I've loosened it up. I've had more confidence in my ability to tell the story and the way it goes and flows. So now I'm down like six, between four and six panels, which is a more traditional kind of panel count now. That was more of a, a throwback, really, the, the nine and the eight. But I mean, I don't know people who do 24 
panels on our book, and I'm like, how the hell did you manage that? That's a lot of work. But then I guess confidence is key, isn't it? I mean, when you first start out, you I think bloody-mindedness is key. If you, if you have a book and you know that every time I put a book out, it's a one chance to, to actually hit someone and give them, a, give them something exciting or, you know, make them want to read the next one at the very least. So you have to be very, very, you know, you have to just go, right, that's not working. And most importantly, I have to let the art shine. As a writer, I'm very aware that this is a visual medium. People come and they buy comics and they, they read the comic, they read the art, and then they might just go back, sit down, read the comic together and then maybe come back for the combined effort. But originally, it's, it's a visual medium, and I'm very aware of that. And I was, I was kind of painful for the first year, I think. It was kind of <laughs> <laughs> when I was kind of like thinking, oh, have you read it? You've read it? Oh, yeah, it looks good. And you're just like, but you haven't read it. Yeah, so I've, to, yeah. I've gone through a whole long process of that kind of thing. And is that ring true for you, Jim, in terms of the visualization of it? Because you illustrate and you write your work. I mean, you, mm. you do both together. Yeah, I, I've, like, this is my first year, like, trying to do like my kind of work as my like main job and like the interesting thing that I found is that when I'm working with other people I'll like send them a script and they're just like they they sort of cross all a load of stuff out and they're like can't you show that in the visuals and then I'm like oh yeah no I'll cut like yeah, half yeah, of the dialogue yeah, out when yeah, I do yeah, the drawings yeah, they, they score stuff out. well like they just like point out that like it's overwritten or whatever oh, really? but like I mean if we're working together they are giving me like their feedback and stuff but like they like I think what's interesting is that because I've only ever worked like alone I my assumption is that the script is gonna probably be completely different once I see the visuals in front of me because like I find dialogue quite difficult to write anyway and Especially writing, like, fantasy stuff, it can sound so bad. <laughs> like, made-up words for, like, dumb things. Um, and then, like, when I see the visuals, it's like, I can trust in that. And I know, I can see this character is, like, looking how they would look when they say this thing. And it's just, like, finding the thing, the, like, snappiest version of what I need them to say and then putting it in their mouth, I guess. Um, so, like, for me, most of the writing happens, like when the drawings are there. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I use the script as kind of a guide to just remind me, if you don't mention this now, then you're going to be in trouble a few pages later. It's but, a totally um, different discipline to when you've got a writer and an artist. Yeah. Um, because for me, it's we get the script right, at least such that there aren't any panels that are going to have to change, yeah. and it's paced correctly, etc., and the sentences are going to be about the right length mm -hmm. um, because the artist then goes away and you've got to remember he's got to leave space for speech bubbles, etc. Mm -hmm. Whereas you don't have that problem if you're, you know, you're the one that's doing both things. I think for me it's like because, like, most of the work I do is pretty much all character-based, it's like if I can see that person, like, and I can recognise them from inside my brain, like it's so much easier for me to figure out what they would say if I'm looking at them and, like, I'm seeing the scene that they're in. And, like, I often find that I just, like, overwrite, like, really long sentences and then I'm just like... Well. Yeah. You letter, I letter as well. Well, I mean, I well, have I a font that I use <laughs> that's made of <laughs> no, my handwriting. You're the letterer for your book. <laughs> yeah, it's like a webcomic, so I pretty much do thing. the whole thing. Like, yeah, because that gives you the ability to, to edit right to the end, doesn't it? And that changes yeah. everything. You can see it as it comes along, whereas if you're getting someone else to it, it's a much longer process. And if I need to change someone's name, I can just go back and yeah. change it. 
Yeah, it's great. I and mean, that's, that's the notice. most important thing I learned about <laughs> writing was learning to letter because that gives you the power at yeah. the end to edit and just see how it fits in with the art and it's always got to make the art shine. And, and if Colin was here, I'm sure he'd be like cock-a-hoop with you here saying that because Colin loves to tell everyone who wants to listen how important letters are, wh wh which they it's are. It's an obsession well, of mine as well. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, they're, they're integral to it all. Katrina, how did you find, because you've recently just been working on Nasty Girls with George Lennox at Cult Ember Comics, how did you find taking someone else's prose and their script and developing it rather than you sourcing it all from start to finish? Well, Erin Keepers and I had like a really good relationship between the two of us working on it because that was the whole reason George spoke to both of us about it because he knew that he wasn't the right person to tell a story about a girl band who were facing prejudices in the world. So Erin um, didn't want to write the whole thing from her perspective alone. So, I, I mean, I'm a completely different female presenting person. Uh, so I was another valid perspective for her to bounce ideas off. So it was, it was mostly Erin, but it was also me kind of bouncing ideas off depending on the character that was speaking or wh whoever was uh, in the scene that we were dealing with. Um, and so we did tweak things between the two of us, which made it a little bit easier for me to work on because she was showing me things as they were coming and um, I could I could say, yeah, I can, I can visualize Mercy doing this, I can visualize uh, Lex doing that. Um, and then I could I could come in and say, why don't we add this to this part? And um, yeah, it was, it was a really nice, smooth process between the two of us. We got along really well. Um, so it's, I'm, al I'm almost too lucky in that aspect, I guess, um, mm. in that we got along so well. But um, I don't think I would have a problem with doing <coughs> any other scripts with any other person either. Because um, I've, I've done stuff for the University of Dundee as well. And uh, again, it's just... Um, Figuring out what whoever's written it wants from you is always tricky, but um, it's really rewarding when you get it right. And I think there's a difference as well between collaboration and paid work. Mm -hmm. I think yeah. if I work with someone who's collaborating with me, like um, Stu, who's doing our work in Amadillo, he has far more ideas that I'm more willing to accept and encourage. Whereas if I'm working with a, an artist that I am paying, that's the script. Yeah. If you want to change something, that's fine. Let me know. Don't just do it. Yeah. That's the point. Yeah. It's, I mean, a, it's a respect. It's a different thing. It's yeah. a different thing. You know. I mean, you have to realize you're work for hire or you're a collaborator. And then there's different rules for both, isn't there? Really. Yeah, I had, I had a letterer that tried to I'm change my script. <laughs> I had a letterer that tried to change my script once. He just came back and he had rewritten it, and it was like, oh, I think these panels sound better this way, and I'm like, dude, like, come no, on. Know your place. Pete, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, I was just like, ah. Uh. We had one at um, Cult Empire, which didn't work out. Um, and she'd started and she'd done concept drawings and um, then turned around and said, I don't really like the story, I'm not comfortable with it. And um, this was a good few months down the line. And I was like, let's just, let's just leave it. We'll get someone else because it's, you know, it's, it's fine. If yeah. you don't like it, that's, if you've changed your mind, fine. But, you know. You're three months down the line then, but you find someone else. Nice. I think creative tension is good sometimes, you know, it can push the project further forward, but there gets to a point where, you know, at the end of the day, for someone like me, I'm the person who's getting the artist paid, getting the print paid, getting the events, selling the book, editing the book, and publicising the book. So there's no real room for any more drama. <laughs> you know, it's either kind of like, 
if you want to change something, we haven't, and this all depends on how you work with each other because the working relationship for every artist and writer is completely different, I'm sure. But at the end of the day, someone has to take responsibility for the whole project, and that's me. And I, I don't know how I would react if someone told me to change my script. I would probably just sack them. <laughs> you deal with it well, then. That's what you're saying. Probably. Yeah. Depending on the circumstances, depending on if I thought that that person could bring something. But it's different if you're a collaborator, then I'm so giving in every sense yeah, no, that no, I could I, possibly give in yeah, terms no. of lighting, writing, production, lettering, everything. But when it comes to business, there's a hierarchy and you have to accept that. And I've worked with a couple of people who can't accept that, so I don't just don't work with them. Dave, what do you, I mean, what are you thinking? Because at the back of Killtopia 1, it's just been, I mean, you and Craig primarily that have been doing it and putting it together. This relationship with just the two of you, I guess, you know, it has to work, otherwise the whole thing doesn't get put together and gets produced. So how have you found working with someone? Because, I mean, you f you found Craig randomly through doing a, a variant cover for you at one point, and it's developed in a Killtopia. So how have you found initially handing over your work and saying, right, you know, passing the baton on to you? Well, yeah, it was pretty scary at first because, like, well, he had never done a comic before. <laughs> so mm. he didn't know anything about panel composition, leaving space for letters. But, man, like, well, he did it, right? He smashed it, right? So, um, but, yeah, I mean, there's always an element of, like, when you've got a script that, I mean, and I, I scrapped that script and rewrote it so many times to the point of insanity, just, like, never happy with it. But... Um, we both agreed, like, you know, we're not going to put out a single page unless it's the best thing we think right now we can possibly do. Because, I mean, like you, like you said, mate, like, you need to grab people and get them hooked in. So if you're not putting mm. your best work out there, like, do you know, like... You're, You've you're, got one chance. Exactly that. So yeah. th that's the sort of way we looked at it. And um, But, yeah, working with Craig was great because um, it was almost like a blank slate for, with him because he had never done it before. So he was kind of like, we just found our own way of working and we're really into the same kind of things as well, which I think is so important. So all the influences that, that uh, made Killtopia what it is, he's firmly like a passionate fan of it as well. Like manga and, and things like Akira, Ghost in the Shell. Um, his brother lives in Japan. So he was sending us like photography of like all the districts and the skylines and signage and neon lights and stuff to really help us with the mood boards and all that kind of thing. Um, so it was just perfect, eh? like we and we just worked so well together. Um, it got a little bit stressful at times, but um, everything, every good project thrives on stress. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but every every project will have some kind of creative. There's always a crunch point at some point. Yeah, and if, yeah. if it's just if you get down a deadline or whatever, there's always something. But it's nothing major, really. You know, it's, you can work. No, you no. Want the same thing. Like we, we we know that we can both be really tough on each other and say mm -hmm. like, where's this page or like, where's where's that bit of the script? You know, and and we we take it in the spirit it's intended. It's constructive. Like, come on, we need to get going. You know. And now we've got a publisher it's like the clock's ticking we've got constant deadlines now so it's just like ah like um we actually do have deadlines now whereas before we were kind of making up the deadlines as we went but now it's just like oh god <laughs> like, find that? has that changed how the process is going um, or do you find it's added more tension or is it easier or and it, I would say it's added more positive tension like we both know yeah. like right we've got we now have this well defined I think the fact that it's been a hit yeah you, also <laughs> kind of pushes you forward to yeah, 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 yeah. But then it might also cause more stress. That's the problem with it. That it's you, always stress. No, man. I know. But so you, you, you go and create something. And in the case of Dave, that creates Kilotopia, and there's a whole build up to it prior to it coming out. And I'm sure everyone in this room is aware of it. If you haven't, 
Dave did a Kickstarter um, that just seemed to go on for a day and an age. And then when it when it released, it was just monumental, and it and it took twenty seconds for him to, you know, fill his coffers. Is there not then a pressure on the other side of that? I mean, because looking at this table, you know, Katrina's just had Nasty Girls come out very recently. James got uh, a, a book with uh, Girl Gives Zero Fucks that's in a top 10 just now. Dave, you've, you've kicked the arse out of Kickstarter and, and you're crushing it with the volume two. Ellie, you've been a part of editing these books that have gone on to different levels and proof stuff. And, and then, you know, John, here yourself, even though you handed it free comics earlier, you're prolific in what you do and putting out. And I just think that to not come a point where everyone will strive to, to make it, to get some sort of recognition and some success, however you want to define it. But then it's always that second album syndrome, isn't it? It's about, right, okay, people are giving me more attention now. People are starting to find me on social media, whatever it is, or to come to cons. Okay, Christ, what do I do next? You know, and it's just about how responding to that and, and interesting about how, how you each always people kind of like engage with that. Because it's different when you just, you come up with the idea and you sit in a cafe or a pub or whatever walking down the street and then you go and create it and you go and produce it. But when you get out there and people are responding to that, then that's a different part of it, isn't it? People then give mm -hmm. you feedback and then telling you how good it is or in some cases how bad it is or whatever it is. I've had abuse for Royal Descent. Yeah, it's been great. Yeah, I've had verbal abuse. It's been, that's fine. I'll deal with that. What were you going to say, Jim? I think, like, just listening to everyone, um, it's interesting, like, some of the differences, I think, between releasing a book and putting stuff out online, like, the slow trickle over time of work coming out and, like, the, the thing about putting stuff online is you do get like instant feedback from people not always but like sometimes and that's for me especially having such a long ongoing project that's become quite a good like motivator for me um whereas like I always feel like when I make a book I'm just sort of sending it out into the void and like I guess people might like it who knows like I sort no, of judge to people on, like, though. Yeah, I mean, I see, like, their face as they look through it, but I don't know what it does to them, like, on an emotional level unless they tell me later. They come back later if yeah. they're saying, I hated your book, or they just don't come back. <laughs> well, like... <laughs> Blank you. I haven't had anyone tell me they hated one of my books, which is nice, but, um, like, I... Like, it's interesting also talking about, like, stress, because especially with the webcomic, I... I've sort of put myself in a situation after years of like finding like an hour here and there to work on it because now I'm freelance I don't work on it when I feel stressed ever it's like the one rule is like I have this precious story that is mine that I want to do and enjoy every moment of it so if I'm not feeling it I don't work on it which is really weird because I've sort of forced myself to like work even when I'm exhausted, like, either side of a nine-to-five job for, like, years and years. And, like, now it's kind of become this sort of sacred time. Um, and it's kind of the same with my diary comics because there's a lot of, like, dealing with past hurt and, like, it's, it's almost like this therapeutic healing thing for me. So I can't work on it if I'm not in that sort of headspace because it's so personal. Um... And, like, taking those diary comics and putting them into a book, it's sort of um, a weird, ex like, experience of taking that organic, responsive 
act of creating something out of your life and then putting it into a collection that's supposed to tell this like linear story and it's kind of I feel like there's always a part of it that's a little bit engineered because your life doesn't follow like that kind of Mm -hmm. natural arc but it's still it definitely feels like more of a like crunch time like deadline experience as opposed to the online sharing aspect of it it's a weird one right because I never write comics unless I can be bothered I see people cranking out stuff, like really good work, though, like consistently. And I, and sometimes I'm like, man, I wish I could do that. But then I'm like, if I did that, I, I can't under that kind of duress. You know, I, I, I couldn't say, for example, I need to write this many hours a week. I, I just couldn't do that. It's like, what Jim Alexander used to write, like X number of pages a day, no matter what. Yeah. You know, and he was like, even if it's awful, mm-hmm. I've done something, there'll be something in there, you know. I was like, I wouldn't have the discipline to do that. Yeah. You know, and he was working nine to five as well, so he didn't sit down and see if those five pages take like three hours because yeah. you're just not feeling. I just like I just sack it. Well, I used to do it, know? but then the nine to five, and because I freelance on top of the nine to five, and life's you know we've all got lives as well, right? We can't we can't no. be on it constantly. It's no, fast track the burnout, right? You know, so you get burnt out by it if you, if you just try and force yourself, right? But yeah, I, I just kind of do it when I can be bothered, <laughs> which is maybe sounds a bit lazy, but I, I find the work is better as a result, but. I think it depends a lot on the style as well, because, like, with The Flying Ship, it's deliberately trying to be this very, like, gentle, dreamy kind of fantasy experience. And, like, if I was feeling really angry and I sat down to write it, I just don't think it would look the same as it's supposed to. Um, but, yeah, working, like, doing client work is a totally different thing. And I just, I'm just like, ah, <laughs> I hate this. Send More it out. More challenging, you like. done. Hmm? More challenging. Not so much challenging, because I think a lot of, the, but you're obviously picking the projects you want to work on, aren't you? So. Well, like I don't like a lot of the work that I do, like as paid work, is more kind of like business illustration and stuff. So it's like illustrate innovation. In there, yeah. It's like there's a higher pain threshold with stuff yeah. you're getting directly paid for. Definitely, and like it's because it's that same like you're working, you're creating, you're being commissioned and paid to make a piece of art that's like perfect for your client. So it's like if they want you to draw like three businessmen holding a light bulb, then that's what they're going to get. And it's like, cool. I don't have to be proud of this. <laughs> yeah. But in the, is, there a, is there a bind or a blurring of the lines when it comes to stuff like Kickstarter or maybe specifically more to do with Patreon where you ask people through Patreon to say, invest in me on a regular basis. My output at different tiers will give you X, Y, and Z and all the rest of it. Is there then a pressure to make sure that not only are you hitting the deadlines and being consistent on your output, but the output is the level they expect. Because just like you guys described there, either from a paid client or you work in collaboration with someone else and you pay them, the rules in the contract are different. You know, it's like, here's what we're saying we're going to do by these timelines. <clears throat> You're going to give me X amount, I'm going to do the job. But when it comes to people you're probably never going to meet and they're going to give you money, and they want to see an end result, is there a pressure then to make sure that, you know, you're doing what you need to do? Because you've all said it. There's some days when you just don't want to do it. No, I, no I, I do it every day. I work 12 hours a day. I've got six books on the go right now. It's kind of normal for me. And if I'm not producing something, I'm writing because I have to do it. But what do you mean by you have to do it? Because it's my calling, man. It's what I want to do. I've chosen this. I've done theatre for five years. That was interesting. 
I lived abroad for five years and worked in communities and stuff, and that was interesting. But I think the difference for me is when I did my first book, and that was whoa, way back with Dave and Shah. It was just such an incredible experience just to have that comic, and that never went away. Every time I make a new book, it's just... And I like that buzz. I like that feeling. And I kind of spend most of my time making comics or reading comics or buying comics or selling comics, so but I'm kind of immersed completely in comics. You've never done a Kickstarter, though, have you? No. And why is that? Because I don't need to. So, uh, Mark pays the money. Mark pays the writer. But he doesn't. He pays for the lettering. He pays for the production. He pays for the events. He pays for the artists. So I don't need to do a Kickstarter. And would you ever consider doing it? I wanted to do them, but he, he said, "No, let's not. We don't need to. You've got the money. You don't need to do it." It's actually really it. hard work. When we did one, he said um, that as well. It takes so much energy from your yeah. projects that you've got because you've got like what five, six projects all going. Five books at Edinburgh Comic Con. You can't spend other time doing other things when you've already got the work in the can. So what are you doing? And so it's not really anything that's I've ever been involved in or experienced in in any way. So I'm and Katrina, have you found that in terms of like selling your wares, and I guess in some ways selling who you are as a creator and a writer and illustrator, is that something that's been natural to you, or have you? Is it something that you've had to develop over time? It is something that I've developed over time because when you come out of uni, um, you don't have that. Well, not automatically. You don't have that business skill. You don't have that. I mean, you. When I came out of uni, I was I was still very shaken at the state of the world, to be honest, because Brexit had just happened, and um, I had all that to deal with. And then I also wanted to finally be making comics and be making art because I hadn't I hadn't been able to do that. Um, I'd had two years of uh, a university course that wasn't suited for me, and then. Um, a year out to try and think about what it was I wanted to do and then uh, you know I finally got to this point where I was able to do that I had the knowledge but then I still had so much more to learn about how to sell myself as a as a person because I can continue I can sit there and I can make art for 12 hours a day um, you know just like John's doing but um at the end of the day, what's that going to get me? I'm going to have a, a lot of art, but I'm not going to have any people who are potentially going to see it if I haven't spoken to people. So it was just a, a kind of a, right, I have to go out and I have to speak to people. I have to um, not be anxious about it. I just, because half of these people, maybe I'm never going to see again. Maybe, the, maybe they won't remember me in half an hour. Um, but if I don't say something to them now, then they'll never get that chance to maybe remember me in in sometimes so it's just it's little bits here and there and then also because I have the benefit that I am still quite young I'm st I feel like it's still important for me personally to be making art and then also doing other things in the world so I do nine to five and that isn't necessarily all drawing it's maybe going out and and talking to people and and seeing who might need my stories kind of thing because I can I can write for myself and that's very easy I can write for like-minded people like me but maybe I want to write something that's going to be a wider audience or maybe I want to make sure that I'm saying the right things to other people to improve on their own points of view and and to you know maybe there are people that were like me who were very very anxious about talking to anybody and maybe there's a way that I can communicate something to them about how to communicate themselves and how to put themselves forward. So, yeah. <clears throat> oh, sorry. <laughs> I was just going to say, like, um, 
because you mentioned Patreon a little bit earlier, like it's, I guess it's a sort of similar thing um, from that point of view in the sense that like, I, I feel like the, the incentive for people to like pay to sort of follow that from my point of view is in the sense that it's kind of like a visual diary and if you are like paying this certain fee, then essentially you're going to get like this very personal view of who this person is. And from the point of view of like your specific like personality traits and things about you that they might want to know more about, like polyamory, for example, there's not that much out there about it and people are talking about it more. So it's like, if I talk about it, then people might want to read about it and they might feel less alone or less like they are sort of on this island, like separated from everyone else or whatever. Not that everyone feels like that, but like when there's like a subset of a culture that people it isn't necessarily in the mainstream, there are a lot of people who feel isolated and who mm. don't feel represented. And like, it feels good to be able to take that and, and sort of share it and make money you see on Patreon what <laughs> it's interesting on Patreon like what, what I find from because I back a few as well it's almost like they're not just investing in your work investing in you as a person because mm. they like kind of like your message or like you, your style or just like well you as an individual as yeah. well like they want to support you to see that you can keep on doing your work and that's the, why Kickstarter is so appealing is just like <clears throat> you know if I didn't if I didn't Kickstarter all my books I've, I've done all of them um, so far then I probably wouldn't have sold books in like over, overseas and you know our books are now being bought in like Japan and Dubai and, and States and Australia and those people have come back like I see like the same people coming back for every campaign and that's why it's kind of snowballed so without that I would just still be selling at cons in the UK without So how do you find Kickstarter then? Because I know yeah. certainly when George did it for the first time he was like God this is really hard work and you have to be like really on it every day and like yeah. do you get a bit obsessed because he did he was just like yeah who's, who's looking at it how many people yeah. are like you know you refresh it constantly yeah. on your phone yeah no do you know what like it, it's um it going back to like putting your best foot forward like you mentioned him like like it's true because you you are a bit like I'm, I need to, people are buying something before it's even a thing, a product. You know, if you go in a shop and you pick up a book or something, you like, you can actually pick it up. It's tactile. It exists. Whereas like a comic and Kickstarter hasn't been made yet. People are basically taking a gamble on you finishing that work and actually delivering a quality product. So that's why updating every day and actually getting a dialogue is good because you can say to people, you can actually invite like the backers into the process. Today I worked on this bit of script. Today we, you know, we're putting up some work in progress art. We're, you know, putting up little essays and little video diaries. And, and I think the feedback we've had certainly, people like to see how a comic is made and actually see it evolve from the minute they've backed it to release. Um, they actually quite enjoy that, but. Yeah, I mean, it is, a, it is a lot of work, but it gets I, it's like anything, really. It gets easier with time. Mm -hmm. Like, you can almost template it. So you're like, this week we're going to do all these kind of updates. And I do, because I work in marketing, like dirty marketing on digital marketing stuff, but for banks. Um, so now I'm putting all that, that uh, digital marketing knowledge to, like, better use in mm -hmm. comics. It's mm -hmm. like we do paid Facebook ads. We do, like, um, sponsored things. We do, like, I have a whole social media strategy. It's all kind of, sounds very corporate, but it's worked do you know it's actually I mean we made 16 grand in 30 days on the last one which has just like propelled us like so far like beyond what we expected mm -hmm. we only needed 4 grand so we got 
like four times. Four times, yeah. <laughs> we, we didn't, but we couldn't have predicted that though. Yeah, it was just like well done. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, because the next again day, like we launched it on noon on a Friday, and then the first and on Saturday morning, Craig, the artist, was like, "I oh, remember Monday," and I'm like, "What? Pardon? Yeah, sorry." Feeling. Yeah, then it was just like, but then you almost sort of try and comprehend, like, what does that mean then? Like, what what's happening here? And it almost like is another stress in itself. Is that a little bit scary when you're funding yeah. and then you're like, God, now I have to do it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You so know? it was like, but then you have to think about stretch goals and how do you keep that going? And you, then you think, you raise so much. It's like, we need to deliver the best possible thing we can. We can't cut corners. Not that we would, but we have to be seen to be like, giving this our all. And in that regard, the next campaign, which is launching in two weeks, uh, um, is uh, causing quite a lot of stress because of that. We have to try and keep pace with that first one. But yeah. see I think it's quite then. obvious when you see people doing a Kickstarter campaign and I don't think they've backed it themselves or they think it's going to take a while for it to like get the money and then they get the money like that and they're like, oh, all right, we didn't think about this. So then they start scrambling together like stretch goals and it's like... That was the one thing that sort of... George had done a, George and George had done a lot of research on all of these Kickstarters and looked at them and he said he found quite a lot like that that were like clearly they hadn't really even started like it was a half baked idea yeah. and then suddenly got funded yeah. and, and then you're giving away like pillowcases and stuff like ages, that yeah. you know and then they're, well, they're never seen of again. This is the thing. As long as you deliver, people will come back. Yeah. But there are a lot of people that don't, but they only do it once. Yeah, like, do you know what? You know? Like, we get so much feedback of people who say, like, they don't even, they, before they even saw any, any artwork for Killtopia 2, they were like, we'll back it, because we know that they backed all the, all the other six campaigns. And they were like, we know you deliver on time the books. You know, you're not going to, like, take the money and run. Like, some people do that. Mm. Like, certainly in the video game mm. Kickstarter space, there's been a lot of studios that have closed and they've just pocketed the money and stuff. Mm. And it's like, so it's a gamble. But um, I think that trust goes a long way, for sure. But um, with the stretch goals, we totally, fl fl like, flicked it. <laughs> we were, like, scrambling around trying to, like, pick, you know, pick, picking up emails and, like, who can we, who can do prints for us and all this stuff? So we just, like, reached out and got lucky. But um, I don't think you got lucky. Yeah. I think you deserved it. Oh, thank you, man. Yeah. <laughs> Just from my perspective, <laughs> just one person. Not good with praise. <laughs> just one person. For the last 50 minutes, something that I'm, I'm interested in and in hearing from you guys, and then if anyone here wants to add it on after we, we, we finished talking about it, is if you, if you are involved in social media in any kind, or well, it's predominantly social media, it's so easy to hear a lot of kind of like negative voices and people who are really shitty about the state of comics. And this is at all levels. It's not just uh, an independent level like this or at the higher end of the kind of like main blocks. It's not hard to find voices that are just saying about the state of comics, it's just rubbish. Either the stories aren't any good or engaging or the people are working in it. And I'm interested to know from the five of you about where you think the state of comics is. You know, in terms of, I mean, Katrina, you're fairly new in coming into it. John Ellie, you've been doing it for a good stint now and, and seen people come and go. And it'd be all the time. Good to get a flavour of where you guys think it is just now. In sense of what? In sense of grassroots? In sense well, of we how start, we, we start at this are... level at the, at the kind of independent scene in the grassroots. It's crazily busy. It's so much happening. There's, Everyone's there's making much, stuff all so... the time. It's just, yeah. I mean, if I go back to the first comic mark that I ran, the QM. 10 years ago, and we had creators tables at that. We only had two creators tables. One was Will Pickering, and I think the other one was Kieran. And then through a period of like, I think four, three, three, four events, it bumped up to like six or seven. And I think that was just when I'd kind of um, 
was co-hosting Glasgow Comic Con with Shan, and at that point, this creative thing just kind of just exploded. And I don't think Glasgow's ever looked back, really, in terms of the amount of stuff that's getting made. I mean, I'm not saying it's all great, because not, not everything's all great, but at the end of the day, when someone is putting that much time, effort, and commitment into a project, the least you can do is respect the actual process that they've gone through and give them kudos for that. And you might not like everything, but it's always good to see other people bringing stuff out. You know, it's always good. It's always good to see other people and new faces and older faces coming back. And, you know, well, no, I guess I'm one of the older faces. I can't help that. Katrina, what do you think <clears throat> coming through and been doing it now for a couple of years about how, how you see it? Because, I mean, up in Dundee, you guys up there, it's been exploding and, and it's growing and developing at rates of knots and then doing stuff. And I, I sometimes feel, because there's such a hub in Glasgow and Edinburgh, that you guys often get overlooked or not enough being said about what's happening out there. So, I mean, how do you feel about it? Because you came out of Inkpot Studios and all the rest of it, so it's thriving. Yeah. Um, it's it's hard to say at the minute because there's a lot of changes going on in Dundee because we've, we're responding to that, that big uh, boom of... Um, Yes, comics are, are sort of back almost in Dundee. So um, I still think there's uh, there's a lot of room in the in the digital scale of things to like really teach people in Dundee how to how to structure web comics and how to how to make them. I think that's that's going to be a big way forward um, for us. And uh, I think there's just there's something so nice in general about the world of comics that if I want to go and search a queer comic about um, monsters or something like that, I can just go and find that these days. Like I can, I can find any, any niche project and, and back it with Patreon or coffee or whatever they've made available. And um, just the, the idea that you don't have to be doing superheroes anymore. Mm. You don't have to be doing Beano and Dandy and, and that kind of thing. I think that's, that's really promising from a lot of the new students as well that are coming out. Um, so yeah, it's really difficult to say at the minute where where it's going to go, but I think it's just going to going to keep being more exciting, and get, there's going to be something for everybody, um, and it's really going to open some some eyes to what you can do with comics as well. Mm. Jim, what do you think? Um, I have kind of mixed feelings because I think I mean. Like, I make comics, but it's not really my job. <laughs> like, because most of the stuff I do is either self-initiated and unpaid or, like, I get a few quid here and there on my Patreon or it's, like, a one-off kind of thing. So, like, I can't work in comics. I mean, not the way that I want to do. Mm. So, like, I think I I get a little frustrated sometimes because I see, like, amazing, like small groups um, not able to continue and then you see like known harassers and predators like who are quite big in the comics world getting like rewarded for that or it's just ignored and that's very frustrating and like that honestly kind of puts me off stepping into the scene like in a more committed way like I think I would rather do like, self-initiated work, like, on the side, which I'm, like, very privileged to be able to do because mm. I do other things as my main job. <laughs> and, like, that 
allows comics to be a really safe place for me, but the reality is it's not for everybody. And, like, I think, like, people like Zainab Akhtar doing short box, um, she's really, like, committed to bringing incredible indie comics to people, like, and bringing these amazing artists together. And she gets so much abuse on Twitter just for being who she is. And, like, it's the same with, like, Carter Monier and amazing other artists who I follow and, like, follow their Patreon and stuff. And it's just, it's a can be a really difficult environment, including, like, conventions, especially for women and female-presenting people. So it's, you know, there are challenges that you don't always see. Conventions are a difficult environment for any creator. To sell yeah. your work. You yeah, know. no, it, but I mean, not just about <laughs> it's selling It's a long, your... long stint, and you've, you're on the back of making your work, and you have to sell constantly, and it's a long, long day. So I think, I'd I like to think that all creators have the same challenges ahead of them. and I think the difference is that not all creators have the specific social challenges that female-presenting creators right. often have to deal with. Like, there's the business side of it, but then there's also the social aspect. And, like, uh, there are a lot of amazing cons where... Like, uh, I think the cons that I've been to here have been great and, like, Thought Bubble's great. But, like, I think the reality is is when you step into, like, the more mainstream of comics, there are definitely people who shouldn't be getting work and who are, and it makes me angry. Um, Isn't that the same in most fields of life, though? I yeah. I thought, do you know what I mean? Yeah, totally. But I think it holds true for comics. Mm-hmm. Dave? I like the fact that if you have an idea for a comic today, you can make one. I think the only thing, uh, forget about cons, forget about that whole the whole industry. I think it's just as an individual, because I get loads of people coming up to my table saying like, "Hey, you know, I've got an idea for a comic, and I don't know how to write it." And I'm like, "Have you tried writing it?" No. So because the biggest barrier, the ba- how do, how do you write a comic? <coughs> and yeah. Get a- pen and paper out and start mm. writing and, and that's, yeah. not, that's not being, me being a dick that's, basically, that's me saying the biggest barrier to you put, taking a pen in hand or putting your fingers on your keyboard and writing is yourself and your own sort of like um, maybe like a lack of conviction a lack of confidence for every reason maybe self-saboteur yeah, yeah like, and, and I, I do it like I say that's why I don't write when I'm having a crap day like I just think nah I, I can't I can't do it I'm, mm. what if I write now I'm not going to write good work but I might I just, I just, sometimes you're, I just you're more in the zone than others, isn't there? There's always yeah, times. Yeah, and, and and you know, thanks, thanks to Patreon and, and, and Kickstarter, Kickstarter. If you don't have the capital behind you, you can raise it by uh, uh, having a voice and, a, and a, mm. a, not an angle in a marketing way. But you, you you're coming because you want someone that's got that's something different, right? There's, you know, a different angle on things, a different sort of genre, not just superheroes. Um, but I think I think it's the barrier. Do any of us to, do superheroes? What's that? I don't think any of us do superheroes, do no. we? No. I think the the barrier to entry now is like so low, and the door is open for anyone to just make a comic now. I, I love that about the scene. Mm-hmm. Um, not all of it is great, and I mean that in so a so constructive way, you know. Yeah. But, but yes. we all grow, you know. Mm-hmm. We all keep on. I'm in two minds out. about it because sometimes you kind of go into, and there's this huge comic village just full of independent comic creators, and some of them you look at, you're like, oh, you really shouldn't have spent the money on printing this, you know. But then. It's their money, so mm-hmm. you know you can't be. They maybe had a friend. And you don't know who's going to like you what. Know? Yeah, I, I think that's you know key. What I mean? though, isn't it's it? That's like, key. You, you don't know who's going to like what. Who and thought was, Teenage Ninja Turtles would have been like a franchise? 
The guys wrote it on a napkin in a McDonald's and it <clears> became a multi-million, do you know what I mean? And no one ever thought that would have ever kicked off. Come on, a bunch of turtles. And it's kicked off. So, you know, there you go. Uh, and it uh, continues to kick off. That's true. That? Yeah, I know that. Yeah, yeah. Not, what would you think they were? But I think, I mean, <laughs> generally over the course of the board, I think we've agreed that the opportunities that now happen for anyone, if they want to create in some form, one guys, they can, which is a massive positive. And it also dilutes what has been, you know, an ongoing thing where you either have to do superheroes or you have to be part of a zeitgeist of whatever tropes happening at that time. And then everyone jumps on that and everyone wants it. Now it doesn't matter if there's a story that doesn't catch fire. There's a good chance, you know, or maybe you won't, but a good chance we now know that like 10, 20, 100 people like your stuff. Whereas before that never really happened. You know, I think even conversations like this, seldom would have happened <clears throat> back in the day because sitting around people on a Wednesday night talking about comics was obviously dumb. But I think now that everyone's connected, we can pull a different diverse panel like this together and just have shared stories and shared experiences about and also differences, which I think is a great thing. You know, having one voice, having one tone is boring. Well, it becomes boring eventually. And it's the diversity because the diversity is out there. We've all, we've all got different interests. We and did I think go through a period of in independent comics of about two or three years where everything was just like really, really dark and serious. Mm. <laughs> and I was just like, is there nothing like fun in here? Yeah. It seems to have got more and more yeah. kind of like totally different things now, whereas everything just used to be really dark for a couple of years. It was a bit depressing. And now it's not. And now it's not. And <laughs> on that note, I think we'll probably bring it together. So thank you very much, guys, for coming and, and having a chat and doing this. And uh, obviously, thank you to everyone here coming out and spending Wednesday night with us. So thanks a lot. Cheers. Thank you.